Hi, everyone. I'm Aviva Rumani, and welcome to Kindred Cast, a podcast series featuring insights from deal makers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. Kindred Cast is a production of Kindred Media, powered by LionTree. As we close out the summer, we're looking back at some of Kindred Cast's most inspiring moments. Today, we hear from Ron Meyer, vice chairman of NBC Universal and one of Hollywood's most iconic figures. A high school dropout and the child of Holocaust survivors, Ron talks about his unlikely ascent to Hollywood success and the personal philosophy that has bolstered him at every step. To hear the full show, check out episode 18. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss a new episode when we return. Here's Ron. Your personal beginnings, you have obviously uh, had a decorated career running the uh, Universal Studio business for 23 years. You've overseen such great movies like Gladiator, Meet the Parents, Fast and Furious franchises, Despicable Me, many, many more than I could even name. The Universal Studios business, I think, now generates almost $7 billion in worldwide box office and has had a huge rebound and resurgence over the last few years. It's a really great story. But you started as just a scrappy kid that dropped out of school and went to the Marines. Right. And people that know you today... I think, think of you as uh, congenial and uh, easygoing and easy to get along with, a consummate friend to everyone in the industry. But it sounds like you had some rebelliousness in you back then. I was a kid. I mean, I left school at 15. My mother and father escaped Nazi Germany in 1939, and they immigrated to Los Angeles. They met actually here, but they both had similar backgrounds. Both escaped at the same time. So I was born here. My parents barely spoke English at the time, and I was in school, not liking school. I was boxing and shooting pool every day. Day. And I preferred that to going to school. So I would cut school literally every single day. And when I was 15, I never set foot in school again, except to go to what they call continuation school. So I could get a work permit. I went to school for like one day a week for three hours and I got a work permit so I could get a job. And when I was 17, I went in the Marine Corps. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I had a lot of jobs, but I got a miracle job working for a man named Paul Kohner, a great old time theatrical agent. He represented William Wyler and John Huston and Ingemar Bergman and Lana Turner and Charles Bronson and people like that. And I was his driver and all of their driver whenever they would be in town or they needed something delivered or picked up. And I was the seven-day-a-week driver for them. And How did you find your way from the Marines to the talent agency? I mean, I, did you know that you want to do that? When I was in the Marine Corps, I got the measles and I was quarantined and embarrassed to admit that I had never read a book up to that point in my life. And while I was quarantined in those days, there was no internet. There was no, they didn't have TV in those rooms. And my mother sent me two books. She sent me a book called The Amboy Dukes, which was about kids in trouble, which I always been. And another one called The Flesh Peddlers by a man named Stephen Longstreet. And it was about a guy who worked at an agency and he went out with beautiful beautiful women and drove fast cars. And I thought, wow, what a great way to make a living. And I didn't know there was such a thing. I was one of those people, even though I grew up in Hollywood, Los Angeles, you know, I thought when you went to a movie, it would just finish shooting the night before. You know, I had no concept of what it took to make a movie or anything about the movie business. My father was a ladies dress salesman, a traveling salesman. So I didn't have any understanding of what the film business was. I read this book and I thought, wow, when I get out of the Marine Corps, this is what I'm going to want to do. I, what, I, what about it really appealed to you? What sparked you? The fast cars and beautiful women. Uh, <laughs> 
And it seemed like, well, there's a job. There was actually a job as being an agent. The book is a fictitious book, but a fictitious character. But it was a ride. And I thought, wow, I didn't know what to do with my life. And I thought, as good as any. So I was working. I got a lot of jobs. I got a job at a, a men's clothing store, Zeidler and Zeidler. And I'd been on interviews. I went to every agency around. Anybody I would meet, I'd ask, do you know anybody in the theatrical agency business? Kind of surprising, you know, if you're in a company town like Hollywood, again, Los Angeles, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And that's what happened to me. I met someone who knew somebody that knew somebody and their messenger quit. And they remembered a guy named Ron who worked at Zeidler and Zeidler. And they called up. Those days I was making about $35, $40 a week at Zeidler and Zeidler. Hard to believe that, but you could actually live on that money those days. They called and said, "We." I still picture myself where I answered that phone and where I was when that happened. And they said, there's a call for you, Ron. And they said, is this the Ron that came in the interview? And I said, yeah, there wasn't really an interview for job. It was just, a, they said, come in the interview, like most of those things. They, no one ever contacted me again. And if they tried to contact me, I wouldn't have known because I had no answering machine or no one answered my phones. It was a phone rang and rang and rang or someone picked it up. And so they said, you still want the job? It was on a Friday. So we pay $75 a week. We give you a gas credit card and we pay for your lunches. I was rich overnight. You loved it. And I quit my job that moment at the clothing store and I started it. Paul Conner on Monday morning. How badly did you want the job? Did you want to break into Hollywood? Oh, I was desperate, but I had sort of given up at that point. By the time they called me, I'd been on beating every door down that I possibly could and nobody was interested in me. I thought being a veteran would have somebody caring about me, but frankly, my lack of education is really what held me back. And had yeah. you had no training. But no one had any training. Whatever applications I could ever fill out, they said, what job are you applying for? I said, anything available. <laughs> you know, I was not very sophisticated. And of course, nobody hires anybody that says anything available. <laughs> I worked as his driver and his messenger for five years. Then I understood a little more about the business, and I was ambitious, mid-20s at that point. I asked everybody around, do you know anybody who I could meet? I actually wanted to go to William Morris. I had targeted William Morris as the place that would be the right place for me. Anybody I would meet, I would say, do you know anybody at William Morris that you could introduce me to? And again, through that, I got an introduction to a man named Phil Weltman at William Morris, a, a man named Paul Flaherty, actually, who's very responsible for my career as far as I'm concerned. He was an agent at William Morris, and I used to bump into him at, at the studios when I would go deliver things. And he got me in the interview with Phil Weltman. And Phil Weltman, after a number of months and a lot of interviews, hired me in the TV talent department. What do you think Paul saw in you that made him want to go out on a limb and get you the interview? You know, it's a good question. I don't know. He's a good guy. I bump into him in town every once so I, I feel completely indebted to him anytime anybody ask, how did you get to where you are? Paul Flaherty really was the, as far as I'm concerned, is the person who made the introduction that changed my life. Conor made the difference, but I would have been stuck at Conor. I could have been a messenger still today there if uh, Paul Flaherty hadn't come along. He did what he said he would do. He got me an interview at William Morris. And you never forgot it. No, oh, I would never forget it. That is who you are, from my experience, and obviously not just mine, but I think everyone that knows you. You don't forget about people. In fact, the, just the opposite, you prioritize them. You're referred to actually as uh, Hollywood's Mr. Nice Guy. You obviously were a super agent. You founded CAA with your partners. But you've guided the careers of stars like Michael Douglas, Barbara Streisand, Sylvester Stallone, Meryl Streep, even The Rock has called you a second father to him. What is it about how you treat people that is so special and became such an important thing in your life? I always believed in the basics. I think you treat people the way you want to be treated. You do the things you say you're going to do. You tell the best truth that you possibly can. If it made a difference in my life, then I'm fortunate because it's what I knew how to do and what was comfortable for me. I, you know, I always would say, don't mistake niceness for weakness. The world's a tough enough place as it is. I think you got to kind of do the things you say you're going to do and treat people right. And bring joy. Well, if you 
can, yeah. but I don't know I bring joy, but I do the best I can. And I think if you treat people right, it comes back to you in some form. It can't be perfect and none of us are perfect. I was never the smartest. I was never probably the best at what I did, but I knew how to do those basics. Lorne Michaels, who's a friend of yours and obviously is of Saturday Night Live fame, said that you know it's always about the talent and that we all serve. If you ever forget that, you tend to be gone. It's never about you. Certainly, that's true. I mean, when you're on the side of the business that I've been on, we're dependent on talent in every area to do the job that we need to be responsible for. So whether it's an agent, it's certainly about the talent, whatever it might be, whether it's actors, directors, writers, producers, or on this side of the business as a buyer, we need the right people to come to work with you've, and for us. You've also said it's also about follow through. So I think part of treating people well is also making sure you deliver what you say. Well, yeah, go back to what I said before. You have to do the things you say you're going to do. I think in the short run, it's never appreciated. But if you're going to stick around a long time, it means everything. I mean, when someone says to me, I'll call you back in five minutes, and they don't call me back for two days, I remember that. I expect, actually, they'll call me back in five minutes. If I say to someone, I'll call you back in five minutes, even if I don't have the answer, I'll call them back in five minutes and say, I won't have the answer for you, and I'll let you know when I do. But I think that's a part of living in the planet. I but think you do it's, recognize it's a rare quality in life and certainly maybe in Hollywood. Not to flatter myself, I think it's a rare quality in every business, but it's the thing that I teach my children. And none of us are going to be the best at anything, probably not, or the smartest. But you can do those things, and that makes a difference. That's what really working together and people knowing they can depend on you, even if you can't deliver the results, as long as you do what you say you're going to do, I think is essential. I believe in returning every email, every phone call. If someone abuses that, I'll call them or email them and say, don't email me again or don't call me again. But I will give them the courtesy of that. I won't just ignore it. I believe that everybody deserves that courtesy. Do you feel like as being a, a nice guy and having those kinds of standards, you ever feel taken advantage of or people abuse that privilege? Yeah, I think people abuse that communication part of it. When I'm accessible, you know, I have the good habit or bad habit of picking up every call I can quickly. I like calls better than I do emails or responding to emails immediately. There's some people who will waste your time and continue to waste it until you tell them, don't call me anymore. You can't waste it. So yeah, you would take advantage of a little. I think it's probably a sucker's play. A lot of people won't return phone calls and don't do it. But I remember the days when people didn't return my call. It's painful sitting around waiting and hoping they'll get back to you. I'm a believer that those are kind of simple things to do no matter how busy you are or where you are on the planet. If you're too busy to do it, then those of us that are in that busy world, we have assistance. People that work with us who can make that call and say, Mr. or Miss X is out today in a diving bell and they can't return your call. And they'll get back to you tomorrow or day after tomorrow. But at least the person who's waiting for that call knows something. So yeah, it's a, probably a corny and a squarehead answer, but I do believe in that. No, it's so logical and of course suitable and the right way to do things, but it's often overlooked. Let's talk about the movie business. You've been running Universal Pictures for... 23 years. And what's- Well, I'm going to only correct you for a second. I never really just ran Universal Pictures. I really, my duties were, although it changed over the years, but were really primarily the theme parks, the physical studio, and the motion picture group. You mentioned all those pictures. Really, other people are responsible for making those films. I mean, I'm there and I'm part of those decisions, but they really are people in this company that run the motion picture group on a daily basis that really are responsible for the films that we make and don't. And I, even when the times I could have or might have vetoed something, they know more or as much as I do. It's a movie business, a crapshoot, no matter how smart you are. No one ever set out to make a failing movie. If you're going to have people do that job, you got to trust them to do it. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.